Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Well, we have arrived at Shabbat Shuvah, the Shabbat of return. It is called this because today is a very special Shabbat, as I mentioned, in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And you know what that means? It's time for Shabbat Shuvah story time! Yay! So I'm going to tell a first story up here, and then there's going to be the next story is going to be just for the kids. So when I say it's time for Shabbat story time with Rabbi David, I'm going to come down here in the middle of the sermon, and I want all the kids to come up, okay? But not yet. Are you ready, kids? And you can self-identify as a kid. If you think you're a kid, you can, you're welcome to come and sit, sit with me for story time. But first, <clears throat> the first story first. Allow me to tell you your own story. <clears throat> Most of you, I think, in fact, all of you, were born at a time that you weren't expecting. You didn't plan when to come into this world. You didn't set yourself up for success. You just kind of showed up. You breathed your first breath. Sometime between yesterday and 100 years ago, depending on your age right now. Although some of you may have been born yesterday, but I don't think so. And then, that is now, you have the in-between part. The part that you can actually do something about. The birth part, was not up to you, but this part, you can do something about it. And then after this part, after the in-between part, comes another part, which you can't really do anything about, and that is your own death. Just like the birth, you didn't plan when to come into this world, and you don't plan when to leave this world. The realm of the dead at least in the writings of the Tanakh, or Older Testament, is not that exciting. The prophet Isaiah puts it like this, and here he uses the word Sheol, meaning the realm of the dead. First, thank you, that was a little teaser there. For Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you, as I do today. So if you're living, let me hear you praise the Lord. Woo! All right, because we are able to do that, because we are all living. In the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament, there seems to be an addition to this story because of the death and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua, a new life after death. Yeshua died and was raised to life, and then raised to glory and kingship, and we who have allegiance to him are going in the same direction. 
I mentioned this at the top of the Rosh Hashanah service, but for those who missed it, I went to a webinar last week on preparing for the holidays, and Rabbi Mark Kinzer was sharing a few tips. He mentioned how the high holidays kind of sneak up on us, right? And they intrude on our lives, which makes it hard to prepare. However, then he said, but God is allowed to intrude on our lives. And I found that idea quite helpful. On the days of awe, along these lines, I want to share with you a little bit from Rabbi Alan Liu of Blessed Memory, who wrote this in his appropriately titled book, This is Real and You Are Completely Unprepared. That's the title of the book. And the subtitle is The Days of Awe as a Journey of Transformation. Quote, <clears throat> you are walking through the world half asleep. It isn't just that you don't know who you are and that you don't know how or why you got here. It's worse than that. These questions never even arise. It is as if you are in a dream. Then the walls of the great house that surrounds you crumble and fall. You tumble out onto a strange street, suddenly conscious of your estrangement and your homelessness. A great horn sounds, calling you to remembrance, but all you can remember is how much you have forgotten. Every day for a month, you sit and try to remember who you are and where you are going. By the last week of this month, your need to know these things weighs upon you. Your prayers become urgent. Then the great horn sounds in earnest 100 times. The time of transformation is upon you. The world is once again cracking through the shell of its egg to be born. The gate between heaven and earth cracks open. The book of life and the book of death are open once again, and your name is written in one of them. But you don't know which one. The ten days that follow are fraught with meaning and dread. They are days when it is perfectly clear every second you live in the midst of a chain of ineluctable consequence that everything you do, every prayer you utter, every intention you form, every act of compassion you perform ripples out from the center of your being to the end of time. Anger and its terrible cost lie naked before you. Grievance gives way to forgiveness. At the same time, you become aware that you also stand at the end of a long chain of consequences. Many things are beyond your control. They are part of a process that was set in motion long ago. You find the idea of this unbearable. Then, just when you think you can't tolerate this one moment more, you are called to gather with a multitude in a great hall. A court has convened high up on the altar in the front of the hall. Make way, make way, the judges of the court proclaim, for everyone must be included in the proceeding. Not one, not even the usual outcasts may be excluded. You are told that you are in possession of a great power, the power of speech, and that you will certainly abuse it. You are already forgiven for having abused it in the past, but in the end, it will save you. For the next 24 hours, you rehearse your own death. You wear a shroud and, like a dead person, you neither eat nor drink nor have intimacy with your spouse. You summon the desperate strength of life's last moments. A great wall of speech is hurled against your heart again and again. A fist beats against the wall of your heart relentlessly. 
until you are brokenhearted and confess to your great crime. You are a human being, guilty of every crime imaginable. Your heart is cracking through its shell to be reborn. Then a chill grips you. The gate between heaven and earth has suddenly become to close. The multitude has swollen. It's almost as if the great hall has magically expanded to include an infinity, infinity of desperate souls. This is your last chance. Everyone has run out of time. Every heart has broken. The gate clangs shut. The great horn sounds one last time. You feel curiously lighthearted and clean. Some days later, you find yourself building a house, a curious house, an incomplete house, a house that suggests the idea of a house without actually being one. This house has no roof. There are a few twigs and branches up top, but you can see the stars and feel the wind through them. And the walls of this house don't go all the way around it either. Yet as you sit in this house, eating the bounty of the earth, you feel a deep sense of security and joy. Here in, in the mere idea of a house, you finally feel as if you are home. The journey is over. At precisely this moment, the journey begins again. The curious house is dismantled. The king calls you in for a last intimate meal, and then you set out on your way again. This may all sound like a dream, a nightmare, and it is. It is a deep dream of human existence. It is also a description of the round of Jewish rituals that are observed every year between midsummer and midfall, roughly early August to mid-October, although this varies slightly from year to year. It is a gesture-by-gesture description of the stages of the days of awe, each one constituting a passage in this ancient journey of transformation. And here, uh, Rabbi Allen has a description of all the festivities that we just went through. Tisha B'Av, the day of mourning for the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the day of the crumbling of the great walls. Elul, the last month of the year when the great horn of remembrance is sounded, to begin the month of introspection that precedes the days of awe. Selichot, the last week of fervent prayer that precedes Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah itself, the head of the year, the day of remembrance, the day of the 100 blasts and the two books. The 10 days of Teshuvah, the days of awe proper, which is what we're in now, by the way. The period of intense spiritual transformation that begins with Rosh Hashanah and ends with Yom Kippur. 10 days fraught with meaning and dread. Kol Nidre, the eve of Yom Kippur, when the great court is convened above and below. Yom Kippur itself, the day of atonement, the day we rehearse our own death, the day that comes to a close with the clanging shut of the great gates. And finally, Sukkot, a joyous coda to the journey, the autumnal harvest festival during which we build and inhabit the sukkah, a booth, the barest outline of a house." Unquote. So to sum up your story, which I told at the beginning of the sermon, if you remember that far back, you were born at a time you didn't choose. You get to choose some things now. And then at some point after this, you will die at another time you will not choose. And those of you in Messiah have assurance of a future hope after that. Now, <clears throat> which of these four events in your life should I focus on for this sermon? Your birth? On Rosh Hashanah? Not much you can do about that. 
How about your death on Yom Kippur? Not much you can do about that. Your future resurrection hope on Sukkot? Not much you can do about that. Not much I can say about those three in terms of encouragement and action. There's not much you can do about your own birth, your own death, and your own resurrection. But the in-between part, I think perhaps we could talk about that. What is that part called? That's your life. And what is that part called in the Jewish calendar? The days of awe. And this brings us to our second story. The first one was for the adults. This one is for the kids. So I would like all the children and those who self-identify as children to gather unto me down here below the bima, and we will continue our sermon. All right. Story time. And any, anyone who self-identifies as a child, you are welcome to come sit here as well. It doesn't have to be... Uh... All right, we have a very big child. Excellent. Any more self-identified children? Okay. All right. Have a seat. We're going to have story time with Rabbi David. What do you think? Does that sound good? Does that sound good? I don't hear you. All right. They sound excited. <clears throat> Garbanzo and Moki, a love story <clears throat> by Rabbi David. This is Garbanzo and Moki. They were the best of friends. Every day, Garbanzo would go and get Moki from his house, and they grew to depend on each other very much. Don't they seem happy? Here they are at the library. Moki helped Garbanzo focus on his important work. Aw, how cute. Look, he gets a little kiss. This is the first time Garbanzo and Moki spent time together. Here they are enjoying quality time at Moki's house, Grit Coffee on Libby Avenue. Then one day, a terrible thing happened to Moki. A strong gust of the Ruach, whoosh, can you help me with the, with the wind? Whoosh, came and blew him right over and all his chocolatey goodness spilled out. He was gone before Gambonzo could even properly say goodbye. Aww. How does he look to you? He looks sad, that's right. Garbanzo was sad. He thought and thought. One thought he had was, Mi kamoka, Moki, which means, who is like you, Moki? He held up his hand to comfort himself with a sip. But what happened? Moki wasn't there. Aww. But then he thought, wait, I'm supposed to ask me kamocha only to God, not me kamocha to a mocha. <laughs> Perhaps Moki and I didn't have a healthy relationship. Hmm. Garbanzo is thinking. So Garbanzo resolved that he didn't need Moki after all, because God would give him everything he needed. Garbanzo was so happy that he decided he wanted to relax and make a new friend, Sitcom. But that's another story. The end. All right. Any comments on that story? No? 
Did you like the story? You liked it. Hi. All right. You can go back to your parents now. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining me. That was story time with Rabbi David. And this brings us to our third story, the calling of Moshe. I've referenced this story in previous sermons, but I think it bears repeating. And here's how it goes down in Exodus 3. <clears throat> Moses, Hashem. <clears throat> Moses, oh look, a burning bush. I will go now and see this great sight. Why is this bush not burnt to a crisp? Moshe, Moshe, Hineni, here I am. Come no closer. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to hide my face because I'm afraid to look at God. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land, into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, into the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of B'nai Israel has come to me, Moreover, I have seen the oppression that the Egyptians have inflicted on them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, B'nai Israel, out from Egypt. Uh, but uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring B'nai Israel out of Egypt? I will surely be with you. So that will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, 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 okay. But, but, um, but suppose I go to B'nai Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, uh, what is his name? What should I say? I am who I am. You are to say to B'nai Yisrael, I am has sent me to you. You are to say to B'nai Yisrael, Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I should re be remembered from generation to generation. Yeah, but, okay, look, you know, they're, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice. They're going to say, well, <laughs> Adonai has not appeared to you. What is that in your hand? A staff. Cast it on the ground. Okay. <laughs> Stretch out your hand and take it by the tail. It's a snake now. Yoink. Whoa. Staff again. <clears throat> this is so that they may believe Adonai the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you and seen. Thank you. I don't know why I didn't make it into Juilliard. I, I, I feel like uh, I could have been an actor. All right. <clears throat> anyway, 
So how are all these four stories related? And what does that have to do with the days of awe? Quite simply, this Shabbat Shuvah, this Shabbat of return, is about Teshuvah. It's about repentance, turning back to God. The simplest way for us to do that in this season is to lay down our idols. Anything can be an idol. Your calling, your job, your family, your possessions, your money, your investments, the things you want, the things you need, the things you rely on when you're sad or upset to calm down, <clears throat> even your own spiritual process can be an idol. The Tanakh says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him. Everything we have, everything in our garden is his. Is it an idol in your life? Is it more important than God? Today is the day. This is the week to find out. Do it before Yom Kippur, Wednesday evening. We were born on Rosh Hashanah. We will die on Yom Kippur. So let's avail ourselves, aprovechar, of these days of awe. The days in between, called life. Lay all of these things down at his feet. He may ask you to take it up again later, or he may not. But entrust them to him. Entrust your children to God. Entrust your home to God. Entrust your money to God. Entrust your spiritual process to God. Entrust your search for a husband or wife to God. Entrust your healing to God. It's all his anyway. We're just stewarding it. We're just taking care of it for a little while. The whole garden, it's not our garden, it's his garden. He's letting us take care of it. The bottom line is this. Whatever belongs to God, he will take care of. Whatever belongs to God, he will take care of. I'm going to close with a piece of this week's Haftarah portion from Hosea 14. And if you'd like, you can read it together with me. Return, O Israel, to Adonai your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good, so we may repay with offerings of our lips. Assyria, will not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will never again say, our God, to the work of our hands. For with you, orphans find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger will turn away from him. I will be like dew for Israel. He will blossom like a lily and thrust out his roots like Lebanon. His tender shoots will spread out his beauty will be like an olive tree. 
and his fragrance will be like Lebanon. Those dwelling in his shadow will return. They will grow grain and bud like a vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more are idols to me? I have responded and observed him. He will be, I will be like a luxuriant cypress tree. From me will be found your fruit. Do you want to read that one again? Read it, to get, read, read it with me if you'd like. Ephraim, what more are idols to me? I have responded and observed him. I will be like a luxuriant cypress tree. From me will be found your fruit. Who is wise? Let him discern these things. Who is intelligent? Let him know them. For the ways of Adonai are straight, and the just walk in them, but the wicked stumble in them. Let's pray. Avinu, we long to return to you, but we got some stuff in the way. We have some things that we have not given back to you, things that we rely on, things that we think are important, and perhaps they are important, but they are not more important than you. You are our God, Adonai. Avinu, you are our strength, you are our fortress, you are our stronghold, not these things. So we give them back to you, as important as they may be, that you will take care of them. We entrust our families to you. We entrust our finances to you. We entrust every slice of our life back to you, Lord. It is yours. You are the gardener with a capital G. You are the rabbi with a capital R. You are our teacher, our gardener, our healer, our provider, our strength. You are our father. And we trust you, Lord. If any of these things you want to give back to us so that we have a correct relationship with them, that is up to you, Lord. But for now, we lay down our staff before you. Everything that we have that gives us control, everything that we have that represents our honor, our prestige, our respect, we lay that down before you, Lord. and we trust you with the result. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as you're able for the uh, part of the Elenu and uh, the Aaronic blessing. Vene mar vahaya Adonai lamelech al kohaaretz Vayom hahu, vayom hahu, yie Adonai echad. Ushmo, ushmo, ushmo echad. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Yivarecha Adonai veyishmorecha. Yaironai penavelecha vechunecha. Yisadonai penavelecha. Vayasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you shalom.